0: At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. This stumbling together is how we live out the truths of the gospel in community each day. As we look to the next generation, we are trusting God to use our Riverview Church family to be a great blessing to our community in Lansing and beyond. We are committed to loving like Jesus as we dream and pray about the future. With our renewed core values, we are looking to take some significant steps over the next two years, from increasing our staff with young and diverse leaders, improving our kids and student spaces, planting more churches, and developing a new missional fund for RIV communities to serve our neighborhoods, cities, and towns. These dreams happen as we join together as a church family, so we're asking you three questions. Would you join a RIV community? Where do you plan to be present missionally? And what do you plan on giving financially? Would you pray and consider being a part of this two-year commitment as we entrust our plans to God, pray for lives to be changed, and equip and empower the next generation?
1: Good to be with you all today. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. I also serve as the Westside Venue Director. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you uh, and get to know you a little bit, I would love for that opportunity. Um, I'm actually going to be in the lobby after the service. That's usually where I hang out. Uh, I would love to meet you, uh, get to know you and your family a little bit, hear how you started coming to Riverview, and answer any questions you have about things that we have going on here in our local church. Over the past few weeks, uh, we have been opening up the Word of God together, and we have been looking at a few ways that we are hoping and praying uh, that God is going to work in and through our local church family in the next couple of years. We want to be a church that is experiencing life together in community. Uh, We want to be a church that is on mission together wherever we live, and we want to be a church that's generous with all that God has blessed us with. And what we're calling this series, we're calling it Entrust, as you can see uh, right up there. And that word Entrust, it's a a word you've probably heard before. But what happens when you entrust something um, to another person is that you give that to them. You entrust it to their care. You're assigning the responsibility to them to take it and to do what they will with it. And we have plans and we have ideas and things that we are praying about that we are really entrusting into the hands of God in this season. And we have a short tagline for this series, too, that was just up there. It says, From many, for many, to one. You know, we see all of these efforts over the next couple of years coming from many. Like, this is our church family that we're talking about. A the, the beautiful reality of being a Christian is that you're not only a Christian individually, but you are actually in a local family of fellow believers that you get to experience life together with week in and week out. We also see these efforts being a, a blessing for many. You know, while some of these hopes and prayers that we have, they do directly impact our, our church family here, they're outward in their focus, they're, they're, they're missional in their engagement. They're not really centered on what's happening in here right now. They're hap- what's happening outside of this building through all of us. We see these efforts being a blessing for many. But then finally, we see everything we're doing as to one. Everything that we're hoping for, that we're praying about, is to the glory of God. Whatever happens over the next two years, uh, we're going to praise God for it. We're going to trust him, and we're going to give him all the glory. So I'm personally just so excited about the next couple of years and just kind of where we've been and, and where we're going. And over the, uh, the course of the past few weeks, we've actually looked at some specific questions. You, you've probably seen these questions on your handout. You see them on the video that plays uh, every week. But, but those questions are all kind of the foundation of this series. They're centered around community and mission and generosity. That first question is, will you join a RIV community? Will you commit to experiencing life together and discipleship in a local group outside of this building uh, every other week or so? The next one is, where do you plan to be present missionally? Who has God put you around? Who are you praying for? Who are you hoping to see become a follower of Jesus that you know? And then finally, what do you plan on giving? How can you be generous toward these endeavors? Uh, Last week in Pastor Noel's message, he shared how we're all going to take some time during this sermon uh, to answer those very questions. Now, if you missed last week's sermon, that's okay. This might be a surprise to you. Uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to have everyone in this room right now answer these questions. So if you have this from last week, uh, we passed these out on all the chairs. If you have it, great. If you don't, you're okay, okay. You don't have to have this right now. Um, you, there's also a QR code on your handout. There's a QR code right here, and what this QR code is going to do is it's going to take you to a virtual commitment card where you can fill out all of these questions digitally. so you can get out your device, your iPhone, your iPad, if you're an Android person sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to use those. I just have iPhones. Um, But what you can do is you can get out your device. We're actually going to put some time up on the screen. And this is something that we uh, encourage you all to be praying about this last week and just kind of looking forward to the ways that you can be part of what we're doing here at Riverview in this Entrust series and beyond. So what we're going to do, something a little different, we're going to put a timer up on the screen. We're going to give you a few minutes to kind of fill out these very questions. We'll put some music behind you. And then after that, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to open up the word of God this morning and to see what he has for us. So feel free to get out your phones, your devices. Uh, we'll fill this commitment card out together, and then we'll continue. All right, well, feel free to continue filling that out if you need some more time. Uh, that's totally fine. And also, I, I recognize that you may have pulled up those questions, and that may have been the first time you saw those. <laughs> and so for you, if you're actually not in a place to, to be ready to fill that out right now, that's okay. Um, you know, there's gonna be, th- that, that link is gonna be live uh, for the rest of this week and, and in the future, too. So feel free to, to take your time and pray over that and really think about that. But um, before we open the Word of God together, I'd love to just pray. And I'd love to continue to do what we've been doing in this series every single week, and that is just um, giving glory to God and entrusting these very things to him. So let's pray, then we'll jump into it. God, I do just want to thank you for our local church family. God, for the, the men and the women and the children in this room uh, right now, Lord, that we um, Lord, that we can just be a church family that lives in the grace that you offer to us. And that grace is in in, in community. And and being on mission where we are and and just being generous people, God, I'm just so excited about uh, what we're hoping and and praying that you're going to do in our church and through our church over the next couple of years. And just, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to really trust you and entrust all of our efforts and all of our faith to you. It's In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right. So, um, you know, as I was thinking about this message, this sermon this weekend, you know, I thought a lot about the nature of the church and just how God has worked in the church and how he's worked through the church over centuries. Now, churches, what they are, is they are kind of ragtag groups of people. (laughs) Okay, no offense. Like, I'm in that too. Um, But the, the local church is a beautiful thing in that there's a lot of different people, a lot of different stories, different experiences, different gifts and abilities. And oftentimes, life in the church is a very messy thing. You know, if you've grown up in the church, that may be an understatement for you because you maybe have firsthand experience of church messiness that you may still be recovering from, right? But in that mess, in the church, there's a beautiful unity, There's a unity of faith, a common thread of faith and love for Christ and love for God. And what blows me away is God's faithfulness and how it's seen in two primary ways in churches. First, in in what God does in that group of people, but also in what what God does through that group of people. If you're familiar with the, with the Bible, you see a lot of churches kind of start. You see a lot of churches get planted. And in the book of Acts, if you've ever read it, that's kind of the story of the first 30 years or so of Christianity just expanding uh, all over the world. And you see a lot of churches get planted. And there was one church that I could not stop thinking about all week. And, that, and that's who I want to talk about this morning. And it was this church in Philippi. And I, they came to mind for me because they were a church that they were known for the very things that we are praying and hoping would be true of our church family here at Riverview. They were a church in community. They were a church on mission, and they were extremely generous people. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians, or you can flip or tap your way there. Philippians is about three-fourths of the way through your Bible, so if you have a Bible, it's going to look a little bit like, nah, it's not three-fourths. That's more like five-sixths, okay? (laughs) Through your Bible, um, but as you're getting there, just a little bit of uh, context, Philippi, they were, uh, the city of Philippi was this ancient city, um, in, or it was a city in ancient Greece. And we see in the scriptures that Philippi was described as this prominent city in the district of Macedonia. So Philippi, it was a place where there was a lot of culture, and there was a lot of commerce, and there was a lot of trade. And this church in Philippi started during the second missionary journey of Paul. Uh, Paul's story, he was a, a Jewish Pharisee. He was a a religious leader who God radically changed his life. He became a Christian, and he became one of the best evangelists in the history of Christianity. What he did was he traveled around, he, he shared the gospel, and he planted churches. And in the book of Acts, we see in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his friends, they didn't really know where to go next. God had said, don't go there, don't go there. So they're thinking, okay, where do we go? And Paul had this vision. Uh, one day, where this Macedonian man said, please come and help us. So Paul's like, we're going to go there. So they went to Macedonia, they went to the city of Philippi, and they started sharing the gospel. And people started becoming Christians. And then when you have a group of Christians somewhere, what you have is you have a church. So this church started, they were doing some really awesome things, and then Paul leaves, but then he writes this letter of Philippians to them. So this letter is a couple years after the church got started, and he has all these people, these good friends in Philippi that he loved. And we see this in the very beginning of, of the letter, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, if you're familiar with with the New Testament, if you've read some of these letters, you can often tell in the very first words of the letter, like what the tone of the letter is going to be. You know, some of them are very stern and directive. There's kind of this warning of, okay, hey, you know what? You got to stop doing this stuff. And then there's some other churches that receive kind of like a gentle hug in the letter, right? That's just kind of what they need. But what we see here for the Philippians, we see it very clearly in the very beginning what this letter is going to be all about. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be gracious. I mean, the first three words Paul writes is, I give thanks. You know, this is a week for thankfulness for for us as we have the Thanksgiving holiday coming up. There's a lot that we have in our lives to be thankful for. And as Paul thinks about this Philippian church, the people he got to know there, the work God was doing in them, the work God was doing through them, his heart overflows with joy. You know, as I read these words, I imagine Paul is just smiling (laughs) as he writes these words uh, to his friends. Do you have anyone in your life like that? When they come to mind, you just can't help but smile or even laugh from the memories you have with them. Maybe it's an old friend from when you were a kid. Maybe it's a mentor or a coach that really influenced you or a sibling or a family member. But but those kind of people are God's grace to us. They're God's grace to us because what they do is they lead us toward gratitude and worship of who God is and that they are a good gift to us. You know, as I read these first five verses, I can connect with Paul in a way because how he feels about the Philippians is how I feel about you. I love being here. I love walking alongside in faith with all of you in our local church. It's it's one of the greatest blessings of my life (laughs) to be here every Sunday, to worship with you, to open up the word with you, to be on mission with all of you. Paul's gratitude comes out when he's praying, when he's talking to God about his life and his hopes and his desires. But but why in particular is Paul so thankful for them? Well, we actually see it in verse five. He says, I give thanks because of your partnership in the gospel. This wasn't just a group of people that had similar interests uh, to Paul. They were people who shared in his heart's desire. And that was to see other people follow Jesus. <clears throat> we actually see Paul call that a partnership. You know, when I hear that word partnership, my mind goes back uh, to school days, right? When you would get partnered up with, with different people in your class for, for, for assignments. And this was always a tricky deal, getting partnered up. Because what would happen was you would look around and you would know, I don't want to be partnered with some of these people, right? Yeah, some of you were nodding. Um, because you know, if you got partnered with them, they weren't doing anything. Like, you were doing the assignment, and they were going to sweep in at the end and get the A, just like you did, right? I realized though, some of you in here may have been that person. <laughs> some of you in here are like, I love those assignments because I would sweep in and get an A for doing nothing, right? Like, we're in the church together now. We're good. But, um, but here's the thing about partnerships. Partnerships are effective when there's a mutual desire. When there is the same work ethic, when there is the same hope, when you're actually encouraged by one another, when you're operating in your gifts. See, this is what was happening in the Philippian church and with Paul. Both Paul and the church thrived because they were partners. Paul used his gifts of evangelism to reach people for Christ. And the Philippian church used their gifts of hospitality and their gifts of generosity and being a community to support that mission of God in their city, but also beyond their city. See, Paul talks about this partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what's so cool about this, when you see these churches get planted, you actually can look back at what's, ta- what's Paul talking about in that first day. Acts 16 is all about the first couple of days he was in Philippi. Three significant things happen. When Paul gets there, the first thing is we see this prominent businesswoman named Lydia become a Christian. It says that God opened her heart to believe in the gospel. and She believed, and then she leveraged everything in her life, her business, her home, her time. She was a prominent founding member of this Philippian church. And then right after this, we see Paul and Silas. They go into the the town square there, and they interact with this young uh, slave girl who's telling fortunes. And she's, like, making money for her masters. But Paul recognizes that this is an evil spirit in this this girl doing this. So he casts the spirit out of her. And then the masters are like, he just took away our means of income. So Paul and Silas get thrown in jail for freeing this young woman from this evil spirit. It's crazy. Paul and Silas go to jail. They're not bummed about it because we see at midnight they're singing worship songs. This is all in the book of Acts. You can read it. Paul and Silas are just singing and they're praying. God sends an earthquake to the jail. And all of the jail cells open up. Not good if you are the jailer, right? We see this. The jailer sees all this happen and he's about to kill himself. He's about to end his life because he thinks all the the prisoners are going to leave. Paul says, don't do that. We're all still here. None of the prisoners left. Paul then shares the gospel with this jailer. He becomes a Christian. He goes home. His family become Christians, and they get baptized. This is in the first days in Philippi. This is the work God was doing. Since that day, Paul says, until now, these people have been with him. They've remained faithful. And the rest of this letter is just encouragements to to keep doing that. We see this in chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of this gospel. Chapter 2, verse 16, hold fast to the word of life. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. See, for Paul, this Philippian church brought him joy. I thank God for every remembrance of you. And this wasn't only because of the work God was doing through them. It wasn't because of their missional imprint in their community. You know, it was because of the work God was doing in them too. We see this in the very next verse, verse six. Paul writes this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he that Paul is talking about there is, is God. When God saves you, what happens is that that's the beginning of the good work that he begins doing in your life. The the big phrase for this is progressive sanctification. From that day on until the day you will go to meet him in glory, you are going to look more like Jesus. You're going to mature. You're going to grow up. You're going to be different in how you speak and act and think. You're going to look more like God, and that's going to be the work of the Spirit in you. And Paul gives this encouragement to his friends. He's like, hey, I am sure of this. I'm positive. God is going to finish that work in you. He's not going to leave it unfinished. You know, my wife, Danielle, and I, we have a list of work projects uh, that we want to get to around our house. And, and there is nothing better than finishing a project. Right? You just check off the box. You're done. Uh, but that being said, there are so many moments where I am tempted to not finish the project I start. It's that, okay, I think I need to call somebody <laughs> moment, right? Because I don't think I can actually do this. Um, like, you ever been in the middle of a project and you, and you have questions like, does that wall really look that bad, half painted? Like, I don't, it's fine. Um, or like, does that room really need lights and electricity? We just, we'll go in there during the day. It's fine. We don't, we don't need that. But this last one, do we really need a washer and a dryer in the house? Uh, this last question, his home for me, because this year I took my dryer apart and sweating, looking at my bloody hands, <laughs> I was like, I don't think this was a good idea. Uh, but I did get it back together and it is still working somehow. That, yeah, I guess. God's grace, tell you what. Um, but here's the thing. Sometimes we start things and we give up. <laughs> right? We don't finish them. And because what we thought was going to be real simple... Turned out to be impossible. And sometimes we just give up on this work because, you know, it's just not important to us. We think, oh, we'll do that. And then we don't because it's easier not to finish it. But when it comes to God and the work that he does in our lives, he never needs to call someone. He's always faithful to complete what he starts in us because we are of the utmost importance to him. I am certain, Paul says, not maybe, not perhaps, not we'll see. I am certain, he says, he who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion. This is an especially encouraging verse for me because there are times in my life I greatly struggle to see how God is at work. I just wonder, what should I be doing? Who should I be spending my time with? Am I really trusting God here in the midst of this? It, it kind of feels like God has taken a break, but he's not. This verse reminds me that God is faithful even when I'm not. When it's hard to discern or hard to see, God is faithful to complete what he started. Paul reminds his friends of this. That's a reminder for us too. But then he continues to shower praise on his friends here. Verse seven, look at what he says. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul, again, just says what he's been saying over and over again. I'm so thankful for you so thankful for this partnership, but he says something pretty unique. He says he's thankful both in his imprisonment and in his defense of the gospel. You know, sometimes we can talk about things in our life like they're prisons. Right? Maybe our jobs or our ailing health or certain relationships. Those feel like a prison to us sometimes. They may be very, very difficult situations. Paul's not doing that here, though. He's not using prison as a metaphor. He was literally in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in a Roman jail cell for talking about Jesus with people. That was his crime. Missional engagement. Because he didn't stop when people told him to. Now, I don't know about you, but my immediate circumstances often impact my ability to be joyful When things aren't going well in my life, it's very hard to see through that, to see God's faithfulness in that. But for Paul, it was in the midst of it. He's gushing. He's almost in tears about how thankful he is for his friends. And he's in jail. He's like, look, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Because I have you in my heart. How deeply I miss you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We see again How this joy that Paul had through his relationship with these people, it got him through. His joy in Christ, their commitment to him, how the gospel is working in them and through them. We see this lead to what Paul's prayer for this group of people is in verse 9. Paul says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Like, don't miss this. Don't miss what Paul is praying for this church, for this group of people. He is praying that their love will keep on growing. Paul prayed a lot. In virtually every letter he wrote to the churches in the New Testament, he he prayed for them and he prayed specifically for them. And in verse 4, we see he says he's always praying for you in every prayer. And when Paul prayed, he's like, I want this church to keep growing in their love. And that their love would impact their knowledge and their discernment. Your knowledge is your understanding of things, and then your discernment is what to do with that knowledge. That you would be able to make decisions, that you would be able to love the things that God loves and, and push away the things that the world loves. Paul calls those godly things superior things, things that are better in every way. And in, verse 11, in these 11 verses, we see just how thankful Paul is, over and over again, for these people. And we see that this group of people, that their lives were marked by the very things that set churches apart from any other group of people in the world: their community, their mission and their generosity. We see it over and over, don't we? Every time I think of you, I cannot help but be joyful. If you read the rest of Philippians, it's only four chapters, and you can read it in about 15 minutes. You see a lot of encouragement. You see a lot of exhortation, ways to stay strong, ways to continue. But then at the very end of the letter, it sounds a lot like the beginning. Gratitude and joy. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Says this, you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing. To God, So Paul here is recalling the time when he left. After he had planted the church, he had left because his job was not to stick around. He was a church planter. He was a missionary, an evangelist. He, he went around. And even though he had some money that he made as a, as a tent maker, that was kind of his job, he was often empowered in his mission through the generosity of other people. And this is what he's talking about. And he shares with this church in Philippi how they were the only ones The only church that he helped plant that then supported him when he left. And that financial support wasn't for anything in the Philippian zip code. It was beyond. It was church planting. It was things outside of their city. And notice what Paul says about their generosity. He's like, look, I don't seek that gift. I wasn't asking for it. But what I seek is the profit that is increasing to your account. What's Paul saying there? What I think he's saying is when we live generous lives, when we give of our time and our talents and our treasure, we actually see the benefit of that. It builds us up. It's how God designed us. It's this crazy thing that when we pour out, we actually don't get empty. We actually get filled up. I hear this from so many of you when you talk to me about what God is doing in your life and how you're serving in in our church, but also in the community. When you open up your homes When you get here early, when you stay late, when you give yourself to others, in those acts of service and generosity, you you tell me, like, I'm so built up by this. And that's not a surprise, because that's how God made you. He made you to pour out, to sacrifice, to worship, to serve. This is what the Philippian church was doing. They were extremely generous. They were the only church that supported Paul in his efforts. Because this church not only cared about what was happening in their community, they cared about what what God was doing everywhere. And I love what Paul calls this. He calls this their faithful generosity. He calls it a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. See, while their physical generosity went to the work of ministry, it was really an offering to God. It was an entrusting to God what he would do through his people. Now, this church here in Philippi was one of many that we see in the New Testament. But what was really unique about them was how their faithfulness was seen, both where they lived and where they didn't live. They were living in community. They were a people on mission, and they were extremely generous with what God had given them. When, when, When Paul thought about them in his prayers, he smiled. He couldn't help but be joyful, not because of everything he had done, Paul, when he was writing this letter, he's not built up with pride. Look at everything I did. He's like, look at what God has done in these people and through these people. That same work happens in churches today, through churches today. He works in us and he works through us. One day Jesus was talking to some religious leaders uh, after he had performed this miraculous healing, there was a man who had been born blind, and Jesus helped him see. Uh, and instead of responding in awe and in, in worship, an acknowledgement of who Jesus was, the, the religious leaders got defensive, and they got really accusatory. And Jesus was just really patient with them, and he told he tells them this story. He uses a picture of who he is. He talks to them about how he is the Good Shepherd how he's the one that leads to life. And in the midst of that story, he gives them an invitation. This is John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says this, I have come so that they, meaning people, that they may have life and have it in abundance. The mission of Jesus is that people will experience life in him. Because life in him is one of abundance. Abundance. It's one of joy and community and and mission and generosity and unity. This is the life Jesus offers us today. And it's through faith in him. It's through what he did, which he tells us in the very next verse is what he was going to do. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the thing Jesus did for us. He laid down his life so that we would experience real and lasting life in him. Jesus was the only human who never sinned. He was perfect. He was the good shepherd. But he died on a cross for the sins of the sheep, for us. But three days later, he rose. He conquered death, sin, and Satan. He defeated it. And it's by faith in that alone that we can have that abundant life. Just like the Philippians, that he couldn't help but praise, that abundant life, it is experienced here today. It's not just some future thing. No, that abundant life is here now, but it's also promised to us eternally. It's in the church the gathered people of God. That is one of the greatest gifts that God has given, not only to us, but that he has given to the world. Because it is by those God has worked in that he works through. That's why I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to walk alongside this life with all of you in our local church. We get to experience that life together. And we do when we're sitting in living rooms and we're praying for each other, when we're worshiping shoulder to shoulder here on Sundays, we get to invite others to that life, to that experience of God every single week. And we get to give to it. We get to give generously to the work God is doing in our church, but also through our church family. See, as we commit ourselves to those very things today, as we entrust to God are our, our time, our talents, our, our treasures, let us remember that it is from God that we have all of those things in the first place. Paul reminded his Philippian friends of that in his last words that he wrote in, the, in his letter to him, Philippians chapter four, verses 19 and 20. My God will supply all of your needs According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I do just thank you for that truth. God, that it's not our riches. God, there's nothing in our lives that we have that we've saved, that we've treasured, that we've worked toward, that we can say, you haven't done that. You have given us everything. Our gifts, our relationships, our time, our talents, everything, Lord. It's yours that you have given to us as a good father that we would then use to make you known and to give you glory. God, I, I just want to thank you that you, you didn't work in us, you didn't show your grace to us in Christ and help us believe and then leave us alone. You have given us one another. God, there's, there's moments and times in my life where I've just been so, so thankful for fellow believers who are praying for me, who listen to me, who care for me. And God, that's your grace, that we get to be a family of people on mission for you together. That's one of the greatest gifts we'll ever experience. We thank you for that gift today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.